Um, so the second Bible reading for this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Uh, you can find it on, on like the bottom of page 1243 in the Pew Bibles. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Annabelle, for reading uh, that passage of scripture for us. And I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And also, uh, later on, of course, to Revelation uh, chapter 5. Well, let's come uh, to God in prayer once again and ask his help to understand this word. Lord, we thank you that you are the author of your word, that your word is powerful and living, and your word can do what it says it will do. So, Lord, we pray that you bless the, this, this word this morning, your word to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, uh, we have been following a series of the five solas in keeping with the 500th anniversary of the Reformation in our morning services. What a month this month is, what a year it is for us as we celebrate the Reformation. We have some people from the Presbyterian Church here in Victoria, in fact, around Australia, have gone on a Reformation tour. And I was thinking of going on that tour as well. It was a problem. The problem was it cost nearly $10,000. And I was thinking you should have sent John and myself, you know, we should have taken a special offering and sent your pastors. Oh, that would have been great, right? Uh, anyway, I hope they're having a wonderful time and it's uh, really good for us to celebrate the Reformation. Well, so far, friends, we have looked at uh, these aspects of the Reformation, uh, the, the, the sola, sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, Sola Fide, Faith alone, and Sola Gratia, Grace alone. We've had other preachers come here and preach on these three solas. And this is my turn now to look at uh, and to talk about the topic of Sola uh, Christos. Well, this morning... We will look at Sola Christos, Christ alone, and next Sunday on Reformation Sunday, which is really a time to celebrate, we will look at Solo, Soli Deo Gloria, which is glory to God alone. It will be a climax to celebrate all things to the glory of God alone. And so, friends, let's think about the Reformation very quickly. You see, the church at the time was greatly in need of reform. In the beginning of the 16th century, Europe was without a Bible. The general public could not read the scriptures. And so the Reformation was essentially a crisis over which authority should have primacy. Was it the church in Rome 
or was it the word of God? And so the first reformer was an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther. Luther was a law student who became an Augustinian monk. Luther was a deeply religious man. And in the monastery, he deprived himself of much comfort and at one time was so thin that he was almost like a skeleton. Almost like a skeleton. And so Luther struggled with guilt, the church's moral failings, and his study of scripture came to a head in 1515. And while Luther was lecturing through the Psalms and Romans that year as professor of theology, Luther finally saw that he could be forgiven and that he could find peace with God based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone, which the Lord would credit to his account if he would abandon his attempt to earn his own righteousness and trust in Jesus Christ. It was a performance-based lifestyle. Each time Luther considered doing something good, he would add that to his works of salvation. And it's very easy for us to be, become like that as well, isn't it, in our lives? To be performance-oriented. Oh, so that if I can do only this, God will be so pleased with me. If only I do my devotions. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. Please don't get me wrong. Right? If only I would do my devotions every day, then God would extend his justification to me. That doesn't work, friends. And so in 1517, the crash sale of papal indulgences moved Luther to nail the 95 Theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, I didn't go on the tour this year because I'd actually been to Wittenberg. When we went to Germany, I said to Rose, please put in Wittenberg as part of the itinerary because I wanted to go to the church that Luther had nailed is 95 Theses, a very interesting place indeed. Maybe some of you, like I say, Max and your mums, and your particular not in your head, right? You might know the place much better than what we do, right? And so Wittenberg was the place. And, and, and so this document, this document of 95 Theses, this document of protest against the abuses of the medieval church was intended to provoke academic debate. It was, it was intended to cause much discussion but others copied the theses and distributed them throughout Germany. And this bold act by a monk with a mallet launched what we would call the Reformation. And he was one of the most significant figures that God raised in terms of bringing the people back to the word of God. And so Martin Luther's nailing of his 95 theses provoked a massive debate that culminated ultimately and finally in with what we call the Protestant Reformation. And so Luther's 95 propositions for reform was the catalyst for the Europe-wide Protestant Reformation. I encourage you to read the 95 Theses. I've been reading through the 95 Theses in the past couple of weeks just to get an understanding of Luther's mindset very interesting read, friends. And so Martin Luther became the center of a great controversy after these theses were copied and distributed throughout Europe. And his focus, his primary focus was on, maybe we could say it in three, 
three particular things. One was on justification by faith alone. The second one was is critique of papal authority over the scriptures. And thirdly, is prioritizing of the word of God over the sacraments. That is, that the word of God, the scriptures, became the primary focus for Luther and the Reformation. The word of God must take center stage. And so, for example, in, this, in Presbyterian churches, when it was designed, right, usually the, the, the pulpit is kept in the center. You can see this pulpit. What a beautiful pulpit we have here, right? This pulpit is elevated. I mean, it's good for people like myself. Really, I mean. <laughs> but why do we have this in the center here, friends? Because the centrality is not the minister. The centrality is the word of God. And so when we come in, for example, in our services, when the elder comes in, you stand, not because the minister is coming and everybody's got to stand. No, 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 no. It's a tradition that this church has had so that when the word of God is brought in, we stand because we respect and honor the word of God. We don't worship the Bible, but we worship the God of the scriptures, the word of God. And so Luther brought this, the, the church back to the word. And so the Reformation would lead to the greatest transformation of Western society since the apostles first preached the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And this will lead to a tremendous, tremendous influence of Western civilization with ramifications that will be far-reaching, not just in the Western world, but eventually throughout the world. And think about it for a moment, friends. What a radical change the Reformation has brought about in the Western world and how much today we need a further Reformation. Don't you think so? How much more we need a Reformation in our own country here in Australia. Aren't we so appalled with what is going on around us? Aren't we so appalled at what is going on in our own state here in Victoria when we see people giving back a Pats to their backs. Oh, we've done this great legislation has been passed and all oh, rejoicing. You see, we, are, we need a reformation. <laughs> you see, God was impacting this world and he raised reformers who would bring about this impact. We think of uh, people like this, for example, uh, Ulrich Zwingli. We think of Hugh Latimer. We think of Martin Busser. We think of William Tyndale. I encourage you to read about these guys. Read about their lives. Just, just let me say something about Martin Busser. You see, Martin Busser was present listening to Martin Luther speak on 28 theses that Luther drafted after his 95 theses for what was called the Heidelberg Disputation. And while he was speaking on the 28 theses, Martin Busser was present. And this led to Busser's evangelical conversion. Now, why did I mention Martin Busser in particular? Because, friends, because of this. Because John Calvin, you've heard of John Calvin, right? Yeah? Yes? Okay. So John Calvin, the great reformer, spent time with Martin Busser. And what a powerful influence that Martin Busser had on John Calvin and what a influence John Calvin has had 
in the Reformation. So, we also think of people like Philip Melanchthon, John Rogers, Enrich Bullinger, and then John Calvin. May I also point out that we must not forget the women of the Reformation who played an important role in the Reformation. And how did the women do this? We must never forget the women, right? Because behind every guy, there's also, generally speaking, if you're married, there's a woman, right? And that influence of the women in the Reformation was tremendous. I was reading articles about this this past week. You see, homes were opened, where, where, where places where children were taught the Word of God, where they were trained in gospel service by these women of the Reformation. There was hospitality shown by the women of the Reformation who practiced great opening of their homes to be godly wives, to be godly women in the process of Reformation. So we think of people like Katharina Luther, Anna Bullinger in the Swiss Reformation. We think of Anna Zwingli, just to name a few who supported and were part of the Reformation. So all ladies here this morning, all women here this morning, to all wives here this morning, be, be a wife, be a lady, be, if you're single here this morning, no matter whether you're married or not, as, as women, think about how you can be used by God in a powerful way for His glory and for His praise. Never underestimate your impact for God's world and for God's people. I think about women who bring up your children and all of that and all the challenges of that. So sola Christos, in Christ alone, what does it mean, friends? What does it mean to be in Christ alone? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? You see, sometime back, there was a heated debate over the lyrics of the song that we will sing this morning, in Christ alone. A committee of the Presbyterian Church of USA, not the PCA, right? The Presbyterian Church of America is a reformed evangelical church, just like ours here in Australia, the PCA. The PCUSA dropped the words, in, uh, has dropped a phrase in Christ alone. In fact, they've dropped the hymn in Christ alone from their hymnal because the publisher refused to allow them to change the lyrics. According to the story in the Tennessean newspaper, a committee of the Presbyterian Church USA has dropped the popular hymn in Christ alone from their hymnal because they had a problem with these words. And that is this. The original lyrics say, On the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was... You can sing it, right? Was satisfied... Now, the Presbyterian Church of the USA Committee wanted to change the phrase to read, the love of God was magnified. Now, I mean, it sounds very lovey, right? Very lovey, very lovey-dovey words there. The love of God was magnified. Now, what's the problem with that? Surely you might say, well, that's not an issue. You see, but the songwriters, Stuart Townend and Keith Getty, uh, they, 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 they objected to the change of this because they wanted to focus on the wrath of God for sin. Because Christ paid the price for the wrath of God. He took upon himself 
the wrath of God. Did he not? At the cross. That's well, one way of getting rid of a song, eh? So what did the Protestant Reformation mean in Christ alone, friends? We see this in our text here this morning, 5 and 6, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, Paul was writing to a young pastor, Timothy. Timothy was a timid man. And Paul is saying to Timothy, this young pastor, Timothy, I want you to pray. I want to encourage you. I want to urge you, first of all, to bring prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving to pray for your leaders, to pray for kings, to pray for those in authority. Pray that you would live a peaceful and quiet life, one that pleases God our Savior. And God wants all men to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so within this context of prayer, you see prayer, I can't get into all of it this morning, prayer is a wonderful uh, channel to God, right? You think about it, right? 24-7, wherever you are, where, where, oh, that's, that's me, yes, that's okay. Right? Wherever we are, wherever you are, you can come to our God 24-7, anytime. And when we pray, Paul is saying to Timothy, offer all your prayers, but also pray for your leaders. Pray for those in authority. And I was thinking about that this past week, and I was praying for our premier, Dan Andrews. What was I praying for him? Well, the Lord knows those things. I was praying for our prime minister. I was praying for those in authority in our nation. We are called to pray for them, whether we agree with them or not. We want to pray that they will be men and women in our parliament who would honor God and who would know the fear of God in their hearts and lives, yeah? And that they would not be a hindrance for the work of the gospel in our nation. So Paul is saying this. And so, friends, let me just say this for us here at Surrey Hills. See, we can have all our programs, we can have all our ministries, we can have everything else in the church, but as a church, I pray that we will fundamentally be a people of prayer. A people of prayer. Are you praying? Do we pray? How long do we spend in time of prayer? You know, a survey was taken recently about pastors. You think pastors would be spending a lot of time in prayer, right? You would think so. I see one pastor shaking his head. Apparently, it's not the case, really. Prayer is put just at the end of things. And as I was reflecting upon this, friends, I thought, yeah, at St. Stephen's, everything could be going, we could be doing this, that, everything else. We're so busy, one after the other. And are we missing the time of prayer? Are you praying for this church? Are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for our nation? Are you praying for your family? If you're a parent, uh, when you say you, I'm myself, I say, are we praying for our children? Are we praying for our lives? Are we praying for the gospel in Australia? Paul says, offer all prayers. Timothy, young pastor, you want to get things right in your church? 
You want to get me in the center of your church? Then Timothy, yes, programs and everything are good, Timothy. But remember, prayer, prayer, and prayer. Someone once said to me, a good, good illustration. So we can talk about prayer. We can read about prayer. We can read a hundred books about prayer. And the person said this, Chris, you can read everything about how to drive a car. You can read from A to Z, all the books, but you will never know what it is to drive a car until you get back behind the wheel and start driving, right? And we can read everything about prayer and get nowhere until we actually pray. And one writer put it this way. He said this, pray that you will be a prayerful person. I thought, ah, oh, is that a prayer that I should pray? Pray that I will be a prayerful person. So, we see here in this passage, one God, one mediator. And, and so Timothy reminds, and he say, he, 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 Paul reminds Timothy that he prays and he should remember as he does so that there is one God, one God. And has this God revealed himself to mankind? And if he has, then how has he done this? He has done this, I believe, friends, in three ways. He has revealed himself in creation. He has revealed himself in the word. He has revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. Three things. That is, this God has revealed himself in creation. Uh, God has created an amazing world. Yes? A beautiful world. Do you agree? Right? And he has created us and he has given you and myself the breath of life this very moment. So God has revealed himself in creation. God has revealed himself in the word of God, the scriptures that we have, the Old and the New Testament. God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. And so friends, what does this tell us about God? It tells us that in the beginning there was, it was God. It tells us that this is the beginning of the cosmos. It was not the beginning of God. We see two separate forms of existence. The creation as a beginning and God does not have a beginning. And so this is the great cosmological statement. A massive declaration to the pagan cultures of Canaan, Egypt and in fact the world. That there is actually a creator of heaven and earth. The book of Ecclesiastes put it this way. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And also he has put eternity into man's heart. And so the God of the Bible is the God who has revealed himself. The greatness of creation tells us that, that something intelligent, uh, someone intelligent has created this world. We ourselves are made in God's image is reflection. A reflection in the mirror is different from the real thing, but the reflection images everything in its own dimension. So if we are loving, God is more loving than us. If we are caring for others, God is more caring than we are. So Paul says to Timothy, there is one God. The psalm, psalmist put it this way in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. 
What a wonderful world that God has created. Do you take time to enjoy it? Do you take time to look at this world and to see the magnificence of his creation? The beautiful flowers, the springtime. What a beautiful time of the year in Australia, right? It's the biggest time to sell houses. Auctioneers know what the time of spring is like. What about for us? What a beautiful world that God has created. He has revealed himself. The Bible also says this, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The Apostle Paul says that God is clearly, has clearly revealed himself to the ungodly as well. You can see that in Romans chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. Let me refer to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other apart from me. There is no God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you? If that is the case, it's just massive ramifications, isn't it? What a powerful statement. What an amazing statement that is. That there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. We believe that, friends, by faith. This is the starting point of Christian theology. God exists. He is. And if you want to turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, we read this of how Paul speaks of God. Look at, look at what Paul says in verse 17, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. The eternal king, immortal, invisible, God only wise. We sing a hymn. That's the God. Let me worship. And I think sometimes, friends, I think sometimes we have the danger of missing the magnificence of God. Have you lost it? Have you lost the reverence of who God is? We kind of, I think, sometimes the temptation in today's church, in today's world, perhaps, is to bring God down almost to our level, isn't it? Yes, in a sense, yes, He is our Father. Of course, He's our Father. We know that. But He is more than that. He's God. And so Paul says this. You see, um, in Michelangelo's famous painting of uh, creation, he portrays the hand of God reaching out to touch the finger of a lifeless man. Maybe you've seen this, right? In the, in the, in the Sistine Chapel, for example, in the Vatican, there's this fascinating painting there. It pictures God reaching out to make a connection with us. And God has always decided to make a connection with us. And how has he done this? Look at the text, friends. He has done this through one mediator, our prayers are offered through one mediator, Jesus Christ alone. At first glance, this statement might seem terrible. In a postmodern culture, it is no longer politically correct to insist that there is only one way to God. Can you say that today in 2017? In the current climate of anything goes, it's about tolerance. And we hear that all religions are the same and that there are many pathways to God. Many pathways. How do we deal with it, friends? 
Think of the new age. Do it yourself pathway. Go for it. All of these pathways they say will take you to God. There's only one thing wrong with this philosophy. It is false. Why do I say it is false? It is is it arrogant of me to say that there is only one mediator? Is it arrogant of me to say that? It may sound arrogant. Am I not being tolerant? Why do I believe this? Why do you believe this? You see, because, let me point out to you this morning, one mediator between God and men, this is the reason why we stand by this statement, and that is there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Right. This word, the Greek word arbitrator, right, uh, or, uh, it's, it's, or mediator, sorry, mediator is the word an arbitrator. An arbitrator is one who intervenes to restore peace between two parties. The mediator was also a negotiator for business deals. We hear, for example, of people who are working through a difficult situation in their lives, a difficult, difficult uh, issue. They try to settle a matter, a dispute, going into mediation, right? You heard that, right? You have a HR problem in your workplace. What do you do? You go into some form of mediation. In the Presbyterian Church, we have a committee called the Reconciliation Committee. When parties don't get on together with each other, there is the mediation that goes on in the Reconciliation Committee so that the issue doesn't become a big issue that's blown out in the church. A mediation. And so Paul uses this word to make the point that there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The only go-between. The only mediator. Why, why, why? Because, friends, Jesus, as God always, is the perfect God-man. He lived the perfect life. Jesus was sinless. And so in verse 6, have a look in verse 6, please, of our text. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here is the thing, friends. Our sin has separated us from God. What is the solution to this problem? I asked you this question this morning. Could God have forgiven our sins apart from any savior who had to act on our behalf to satisfy the penalty for our sin? He could have, but he chose to send his son into the world. And so Jesus paid the ransom. Martin Luther said this about the cross of Christ. That's uh, Latin. Any Latin scholars here this morning? And try out your Latin. Right. So it goes, crux sola est nostra theologia. That is, the cross alone is our theology. Because at the cross, the ransom was paid. You see this word ransom, we can misunderstand this word ransom, right? What comes up in our minds when you think of ransom? You think when somebody is kidnapped, they ask you $1 million, not the amount that Holly, Holly was talking about this morning, 50 million, something, 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 something. 50,000 million, wasn't it? Anyway, you see what I'm saying? A ransom is, if somebody is kidnapped, they say, okay, give me $1 million, and then the person kidnapped is free. That's not what we have here. Right? That's not the idea here. The ransom here is when one puts oneself as the substitute 
to free another. Say, for example, one of our children was kidnapped. What would you do as a parent? Would you put yourself out there as a ransom to release your child? Come on, parents, back me up. I will. <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe you've got to think twice, right? <laughs> okay, you, you would go and say, yeah, I am going to exchange my place for my daughter or for my son. I will be the person release. Or your, if your wife has been taken, you will put yourself up there straight away. So that's the idea here. A ransom is a substitutionary ransom, a payment for my sin that Jesus has done that. That is, he took your place and gave himself for you as a ransom. That's the exchange. You see, Martin Luther goes on to write about this because of God's love. And Luther wrote this about God's love. It, it, said, it is said this about this statement, Right? Martin Luther goes on to write about this love as one writer says, and this may be disputed, says that this may be the most beautiful sentence that Luther ever wrote. And that is this. The love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. <laughs> How's that? They are not loved because they are attractive. That's God's love for you, friends, this morning. This is God's love for you in Christ. So sola Christos is Christ alone. Our work will never make us righteous before God. It is in Christ alone that we have this salvation. In Christ alone that God has loved you. In Christ alone that he embraces you. In Christ alone we have our identity. In Christ alone we have our, our being, our existence. In Christ alone we have peace and joy and satisfaction and grace and mercy and eternity and abundant life. What a blessing. Are you thankful to God for that? You know, I think about this all the time. As you grow older in life, as you start reflecting upon life, as you go through patches in life, as you go through trials in life, as you go through the challenges in life, friends, remember that in Christ alone we have everything. The all-sufficient Savior who has embraced us and who has loved us and who has cared for us and who will take us into his ultimate presence, eternity himself, itself. What a blessing that is. That's the joy of knowing Christ alone. So, how then should we live in a culture of religious pluralism and inclusivism, friends. We live by trusting this God, this Savior. See, in Christ alone, it's a it says this. This is a fantastic statement that I want to make as we bind up this message this morning. You see, the challenge is to give up on this Christ alone statement. But this is important for us to know. A biblical Christology is one that constructs the identity of Jesus from the Bible and on the Bible's own terms. 
apart from doing this, the Jesus constructed will not be the biblical Jesus. And as a result, there will be nothing unique or exclusive about him. A great statement. You see, you come back to the word of God, the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament. What does the Old tell us? What does the Old Testament, who does the Old Testament point us to? Anyone? Very easy answer, right? It's like the, like, a, like the Sunday school kid. Every question you ask, Jesus is the answer. You can't go wrong with that, right? So the Old Testament is pointing us to whom? To Christ. Right? And so we believe in the exclusiveness of Christ. We believe in Christ alone because the scriptures have spoken about it. God has attested it in his word. Christ came into this world. He died on the cross, Christmas very soon. Incarnation, died, resurrection, ascension. And now we wait for his. What are we waiting for? Tell me, tell me. His second coming, right? That's it, friends. Martin Luther, no wonder he said, Jesus Christ is the center and the circumference of the Bible. As I conclude this morning, friends, I want to take you to Revelation chapter 5, 11 and 12. The passage we read this morning that Sam read for us. And Revelation tells, John says this, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, and honor and glory and blessing. And the living creatures, the elders, now we have an addition here, thousands upon thousands of elders, a sevenfold expression by the elders, come out here. He is worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. This is Christ alone that the angels worshipped. How about us this morning, friends? You see, this Jesus, there is no way to God. There is only one mediator, one God, one mediator. We come to God into our prayers through Christ. And so it is Christ alone. What a joy to worship him. Do you? Do you? Is Christ alone everything to you this morning? Is he our all-sufficient savior? If he is, praise God. If he is not, and you don't know Jesus, I pray today, that you come to know Christ. There'll be people here after the service who would like to pray with you. Come and see them. We're great for us to talk about. And talk about Christ alone over lunch as well. All right? That'll be a good topic to talk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we believe in one God. And we have one mediator between God and man. Christ alone. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ. What an awesome, amazing, magnificent Savior Jesus is. Lord, we come to you just as we are. We thank you for the work of Christ alone. 
Amen. Friends, we're going to